Welcome to It's No Secret, a podcast for Kiwis who want their money questions answered. Ready, steady, go. This podcast will answer the money questions you may or may not have on your mind. We'll talk to real Kiwis and share truths about our own financial lives, both the successes and the failures. Because the truth is, there is no secret to achieving financial freedom. Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Christine. And I'm Kat. And today we're answering the question of what are the top three things to be thinking about when investing for kids? Now, I obviously do not have kids and uh, so I don't have much personal experience in this area, but as as some of you may or may not know, Kat is currently pregnant. So she has been going through this experience of, well, she already knew a lot about investing for kids, but (laughs) personal experience. It's more practical now. (laughs) Yeah. Of planning for um, having a baby, which we've touched on in a previous episode, but also thinking about what she might do to invest on behalf of her child. Mm. So mm. With, without further ado, Kat, <laughs> do you want to take us through the top three things to be thinking about? Sure do. What um, you're thinking about. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So I think the number one thing that everyone should think about if this is something that is on your mind is what, where are you investing? What is the structure? Now that sounds really boring, but Essentially, in New Zealand, you've got two main decisions, right? You could either open a KiwiSaver account for a child or you could open a personal investment account for said child. Um, And we did a little bit of research to try and find out which way people were going. (laughs) It was hard to find some stats, um, but I guess kind of as a reference point, We did find that one of the largest investment platforms in New Zealand has roughly 7% of the accounts that are opened with them open on behalf of kids versus – In 2021, according to inland revenue data, there were roughly 255,000 Kiwi kids that had active KiwiSaver accounts. And as a rough percentage of the total resident children population, so people under the age of 18, that was roughly about 21%. So looking. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly not the majority, but looking at those numbers. That to me is kind of saying that um, people are potentially opting towards KiwiSaver versus necessarily personal investment. But I think Mm -hmm. there's probably a few reasons for that, which we're going to dive into. So the first one would be is hopefully if you're listening, you have a bit of a general understanding around the restrictions of KiwiSaver. So Christine, whilst you don't have a child, I'm sure you you know under what situations your hypothetical kid could withdraw money from their KiwiSaver account. So yeah, what's that? Yeah, so it's first a home deposit if you have financial hardship and then also retirement which is obviously very far away for an unborn child (laughs) exactly exactly so you know the requirements around getting money out of that structure for your child in the future obviously very strict Mm -hmm. um you know the primary ones being first home deposit um, or retirement. And I think that that's where in my personal situation, at least I would be more likely to lean towards a personal investment account over necessarily a KiwiSaver because you're just giving yourself and your kids a little bit more flexibility around how they potentially use that money. So, you know, playing out some scenarios that may apply to us. Um, We might be investing in, you know, our child's name to help fund like school fees, potentially things that they need in their life pre-becoming an adult. You know, things that come to mind are like buying a first car, right, so they can learn to drive, um, potentially helping them out with some money for university 
costs, maybe saving towards, you know, the ability to travel or like have an OE, all those sorts of things. You mm. don't have the flexibility to use the money in KiwiSaver for those types of expenses. So the pros for investment account are flexibility. The cons for investment account are flexibility. Um, <laughs> what do I mean by this? <laughs> well, um, you know, at some point in time when that child has access to that money and big caveat here, that does depend on the provider you sign up with, but it can be somewhere between 18 and like 25 years of age, whereby they may be able to access that account directly. Um, you know, you obviously need to have confidence in them that they're going to make good choices with that money yes. <laughs> at that point in time versus, you know, pros for KiwiSaver are it's locked away until a very defined period of time, but the cons are it's locked away yeah. until a very defined period of time. Yeah. So no right or wrong answer. They have different pros and cons. Um, but yeah, I would say for me, you know, we're literally 37 weeks pregnant at the moment. So thinking about a newborn, like, first home and retirement are very, very far away for her. Yeah. Um, and I just feel that probably for our stage of our family life, there are other things that would pop up potentially sooner that we might want access or she might need access to the money for. So at this stage, I'd be leaning towards investment account. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so as you were talking before, I was just thinking, well, what if you want that money earlier for but yeah. but then also how do you get it out if it's um if you and you're going to talk about this later with tax but if you do opt for a certain type of structure or to yes. put it in the child's name and then you know that means a different tax structure yep how do you get that money out can yep. you um but say, and how does that work yeah exactly yeah, yeah definitely Stay tuned for that. <laughs> definitely so I think yeah that's a diff a very important one to um just highlight before we quickly talk about point number two which is considering tax and the fact that tax is key is with an investment account, um, the typical setup is that the ownership, so the beneficial ownership for tax purposes and legal ownership purposes are in the child's name, but then there will be a trustee adult relationship associated with the account. Um, that's because financial services companies cannot conduct business with a minor. Typically, yeah. you know, we can't enter into a contract at Colonel with a five-year-old. That's not going to hold up <laughs> yeah. in the court of law. Yeah. Um, so there needs to be an adult associated with the account that has, you know, the general authority around things like depositing money, withdrawing money, placing trades, managing the account until such time that that child is deemed able to do that themselves typically when they become a legal adult at age yeah. 18 yeah. so yeah there's always two people i guess on that investment account um little things to think about there if that's the path you go down you know which one of the parents is going to be the practical person to manage it if there's two of you in the relationship um if it's a grandparent you know doing this on behalf of their grandchild do you have give oversight to the parents, all that type of thing? Um, you know, just think through how I guess you want that structured and work with whichever provider you go with to make that doable. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. cool. So point number two is tax. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tune out. <laughs> oh, everyone loves talking about tax. Um, but <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, so I'm going to say it anyway. Because <laughs> I did think that when you wrote the notes. I, I was know. like, <laughs> 
children are essentially a little bit of a tax haven (laughs) and it is important to forget that and whilst we would to not forget that yeah to not forget that whilst we would definitely not um suggest that you should be putting assets in your child's name in order to avoid paying tax it is important understanding the tax differences between assets in a child's name versus your name and some of the various investments that have different tax treatment because you know in our point, if we're looking at investing from the day she is born through to potentially 18 years, mm. you know, variations in tax can have a significant result over time impact on like the end outcome. Totally. Um, so w- most people would be aware that, you know, we have our payee resident withholding tax system in New Zealand. It's a scaled tax rate, starts from, you know, 10.5% up to 39% um, and it's based on your levels of income. There are then also tax rates in relation to what are called pie funds. So you guys have probably heard us talk about like pie fund structures before and that's slightly different. So the maximum tax rate under a pie fund is 28%, um, but the minimum tax rate is still 10.5%. Now, generally speaking, because children have no other income, they're on the lowest tax rate. So they would be typically taxed on their KiwiSaver and an investment account at 10.5%. Now, it's quite a difference. It is quite a difference because yeah. if you're a parent and you're paying, you know, twenty eight percent on your pie funds, um, or the you know the income and taxable income within that investment account, that is quite a difference. Mm. Particularly if you compound that out over eighteen years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's why we say that um, investing in a child's name as a tax-free haven. Now, the caveats to that, and, you know, would encourage you to go and read the requirements on the IRD website, are that money owned in a individual's name, let's say in this situation a child, does need to be for the benefit, purpose or use of them. So, you know, Luke and I can't Mm. take all of our money out of our personal investment accounts. You know, we're not taking our shareholding in a business and, like, putting it into our daughter's (laughs) name the day that she's born because that would be tax avoidance. (laughs) And you're probably probably going to get picked up by the IRD. However, if we set up an investment account that was in her name and that was at her 10.5% rate under her IRD number and we were contributing to that regularly for the purposes of, say, saving for school fees Mm. in 10, 15 years' time, and then at that point we genuinely took that money out to pay for that school fee, those school fees, that is for her benefit and use. Yeah, so that's sense. that's the differentiation, yeah, I guess, <laughs> the kind of tax legal requirements. Um, and why do I highlight that tax is key between different structures? It's because there's a really, um, I guess, common misconception in New Zealand that just picking any investment is going to result in the best tax outcome. And the one that we're super passionate about coming from an index fund background that is an unlisted pie fund is if you were investing in ETFs. So, you know, you're going on to most investment platforms and you're buying ETFs listed within New Zealand um, or some ETFs in foreign markets, you're potentially paying tax at a much higher rate for a child um, due to that investment's structure. So a practical of example of this is ETFs listed in New Zealand. I'm just going to call them out because everyone's probably familiar with smart shares. Under their structure, they have to deduct tax at the 28% rate. 
Now, if you have at the end of the year a lower tax rate, i.e., you know, you're an adult and you're on 17 and a half or 10 and a half instead of um, the 28%, you can claim back the overpaid tax, but you have to claim it back against other income. It can't just be paid back to you as a flat refund. Mm-hmm. It needs to be claimed back as a deduction against other income. That can work if you're an adult earning money, but there are not many five-year-olds out there earning other income. (laughs) They don't have jobs. (laughs) So chances are if you are investing through an investment structure that's deducting tax at a higher rate, so a rate above 10.5%, and that child does not have any other income in which they could claim those credits back against, that's just lost. That's just overpaid tax to the IRD that's doing no favours to you and all the favours to the New Zealand government. (laughs) It's also a lot of work to even try to do that, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh, exactly. You'll be filing returns for the child at the end of year and all that sort of thing. It's just, I guess, additional hassle. So that is why we're very firm on, you know, if you are wanting to invest for a child, you really need to be looking for an unlisted fund, Mm. Um, specifically in New Zealand what's called a PIE fund. So you have the flexibility to select from the get-go the 10 and a half percent and therefore make sure that they're taxed at the most appropriate rate from day dot yeah trap the young players yeah i know (laughs) so tax is key um it's it's surprising i feel like this one i'm quite i was quite taken off guard by because you just kind of think oh well like surely it'll be fine right but that can have quite a significant impact definitely definitely and i think potentially some confusion comes from the fact that you know most kiwi savers um they will be running a pie fund structure so if you are setting up a kiwi saver account for a child you'll have the option to select the ten and a half and it'll be okay most likely from the get-go whereas that's potentially a little less clear for people when they're setting up an investment account Mm. um you know and Don't expect everyone to be trawling the ID website (laughs) in their free time. So do appreciate that, you know, it might be a piece of information that's easy to miss, but it's something to think about, particularly if, yeah, you're investing, you know, well, I was going to say in a material amount, but any amount for a child is material over time. And it adds up. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that's tax. Um, The third point I would say is choosing the right investments. And (laughs) again, going to caveat this because right is obviously defined by what's most suitable for you and your goals and the child's goals. And your opinions. Exactly. And probably your experience. But I think it's worthwhile highlighting here that – you can kind of go one of two ways with invest, like choosing the underlying investments for kids. But one of the things that I think we've definitely seen super common is people overthink it, right? So easy to overthink for yourself in the first place, let alone Mm -hmm. trying to then decide for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, I definitely even overthink my own investments. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that whole thing we've talked a lot about of, you know, you have the fiduciary responsibility for someone else when you're investing on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And so I think you are Mm -hmm. more open to a tendency of, almost overthinking it here. Um, So to help with that, I guess what we would encourage is think about two options. The first is you either take the approach of I'm investing for a child, therefore I highly likely have a very, very long time frame. You know, in Luke and my example, if we start investing for our daughter pretty much when she's born, we've got a minimum of probably 18 years, Mm. you know, roughly speaking. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. Or 16 if you want to buy a car. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But we're, we're pretty committed or locked into a like a long time horizon therefore we could look at higher risk much higher growth Mm. um 
you know, potentially assets that are a little bit more edge case, like, you know, looking at innovation, potentially different themes, all that type of stuff because time is on our side. So that's certainly one option. The other option is people that fall heavily into the trap of, I guess, feeling like they have a really strong responsibility. Um, You know, we've spoken to parents before who say, oh, no, I take much more risk with my own investments and not my kids because I feel like I need to do well by my kids, which is kind of ironic because by default, your parent, like the parents have a lot shorter time frame (laughs) than the child. And also, I guess if you build generational wealth, then like your money is ultimately going to hopefully end up with them. Exactly. So (laughs) Exactly. But if that's your mindset, like totally appreciate that that just might be a mental hurdle that's Mm. hard for people to overcome therefore they want to kind of you know just opt for something that's much more well diversified broad market exposure you know simple index funds like your S&P 500 or your global 100 your NZ20 like you know very kind of what we would call your stock standard Um, that might be the path to go down as well Mm. not overcomplicate it Please don't be going down the path of you – know, this is not financial advice, but don't <laughs> be going down the path of taking punts on single stocks. I think that's mm-hmm. where, you know, there's definitely been some articles in the paper recently of grandparents who were really well-intentioned buying shares mm-hmm. back when companies first listed. Um, I remember there was one in a Mary Holm column a few weeks ago that we'll try and dig up and put on the gram <laughs> that was basically um, – you know, their grandparents had put, I think, about like very generously $2,000 into these shares that then like 32 years later had basically grown 800 bucks. you know. So yeah. it's just oh, – God. <laughs> oh, that pains me to even I, oh, hear that. it does. <laughs> I know. You want to maximise – you know, they're your kids or your grandchildren. Mm. You want to maximise their chance of success. And so doing that, you need to have that diversification, that broad market exposure or investment across lots of different stocks not mm. picking you know one company whether that be the company you work for or one that you really <laughs> like like zero yeah yeah I was just also thinking I guess same kind of principles apply in terms of thinking about why what you're investing towards and the investment yes. time horizon to then inform the type of investment that you do particularly also we um were thinking about before like older kids or like as the mm. kids near towards 18 let's say like I don't know if t- they're 14 15 or something like yep. that it's same kind of process going through of like okay well what is the goal that they're working towards and what when is are they going to need the money yeah and is like you know are they going to buy a car or yes. is it going to be used I don't know for going university. to university or yep. or whatever yep. else right so yep. that should ultimately inform them like work backwards from there yep definitely Definitely. So yeah, they would be the top three tips. And I think the last thing really to round it out is just keep it simple, set and forget, you know, (laughs) all the same principles of investing for yourself, like apply, right? It's just you're investing on behalf of someone else that has a slightly different goal, has a different time horizon, um, but really you don't need to overcomplicate it. So yeah, Mm. thinking through, am I doing it personally in an investment account or through KiwiSaver? Yeah. Um, have I made sure that the provider I've chosen can offer the best tax mm. because hell's no to paying 28% when you could be paying <laughs> 10 and a half. <laughs> hell's no. Hell's no. <laughs> We've got the finger clicking. Oh, well, I just, it, it drives me wild because people get so fixated on reducing their own tax and that's often something mm. that just goes straight over the top of the head of many yeah. people. So hell's no to doing that. Yeah. Um, and can then I like, add a, bo- a bonus fun fact? Yes, you can. <laughs> bonus tip. I was just thinking, you know, and this feeds into the um, what what are you investing in investment account versus QSaver. Mm-hmm. 
perhaps you could invest the time in upskilling your children with their financial knowledge. So that's yep. like an you're investing in their investing in some ways um, because yes. ultimately then it comes back to like how much I guess do you trust yourself and the, your financial knowledge mm. to then impart that on your children. So maybe then a step back is work on your financial knowledge, which hopefully you're doing by listening to this podcast <laughs> and then, you, you know, it trickles down from there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also plays nicely into potentially leaning towards choosing an investment account over a KiwiSaver because mm. it's something that potentially you could get your kids involved in sooner. If mm. they have part-time jobs when they're teenagers, they can make regular contributions themselves. You know, you yeah. combine the learning. It's a lot more practical and I guess um, tangible, well, it feels more tangible than say a KiwiSaver account does for a lot of people. So, yeah, they get my ticks. That's yes. what, that's love what I'll be doing. Ticks from Cat. We love it. <laughs> ticks from Cat. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for listening, team. Um, hopefully for any parents that are listeners of the show, this was helpful or anyone that's thinking about, you know, you don't have to be a parent investing for nieces or nephews or grandchildren <laughs> that's that's or true. just being like a cool auntie, all that sort of stuff. Very relevant. Caitlin, if you're listening, this, this, yeah, this is for you. For you. <laughs> doing all of those things as well um, or helping parents around you or in your own family, I guess, to make more informed decisions for their kids as well. So, um, thanks for tuning in and we will chat to you guys next week. If you want any other tips or to join the conversation, head over to our Instagram at it's no secret NZ. You're like, what am I finishing uh, yeah. with? I was like, did you say everything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.